I never plan what I'm going to read, so sorry if I take a minute while I choose. Right, this is one called When Cookie Sings, and Cookie was a, a, a member of, not a member of the family, she, she used to work for us and she used to cook for the generation before. I just remembered her as an old lady brought in to babysit and I used to fret her back because my mouth was wild and fat, so I was always getting in trouble with her. Anyway, this is, um, I remember the song she used to sing to us and that was the kind of thing of the poem. When Cookie sings, the world stands still. The sun ray pauses on the sill. The dog stretched out along the step on hell's a sleepy hour. The radio dulls its news report. Somewhere a bay of pigs evolved. My mother at the cooler stirs the coffee slow. The scrape of spoon on tin becoming liquid. Losing its velocity in steam, a turbulence of steam. When Cookie sings, any children whimpering will stop mid-howl. Their ears bewitched, her singing halt the flow of tears. Pretty little butterfly, she sings. And we forget her gums, her watery eyes. Her temper weighted with the privilege of years. Pretty little butterfly, what you do all day? Flying in the garden, nothing do but play. Nothing do but play in the garden, nothing do but play. Fly butterfly, fly butterfly, take yourself away. When I am grown, migrated, gone to tune-filled lands and populous discordant rhythms, my mind overpopulated with the science of climate change and red admirals, there she comes, an old black woman singing in a rocking chair, pretty little butterfly, I never knew her name. Um, I just made a CD because uh, sometimes I do readings and people say it'd be really nice to hear your voice, especially the Caribbean poems, except my husband. And this is one of the, the poem songs I call them, which is on a CD, and I've got some over there if anybody's interested. And um, it's called the Burbage River Rap. And I got the idea from the old folk song. Um, Swanee River, you know, way down up on there. So it kind of started with that in my head, and I thought I'd substitute the Swanee for the Burbies and put a little bit of rap in. She's sleeping still, she's sleeping still, running to the ocean is a bit of pill. She's sleeping still, she's sleeping still, running to the ocean is a bit of pill. Way down up on the Burbies River, far, far away. <coughs> There's where my heart is turning above. There's where the old folks stay. Sitting by the side of the river, men, heads full of Pepsi and rum and bear, river brown mud, brown water splash over the banks with a calabash. She's sleeping still, she's sleeping still, running to the ocean is a bitter pill. She's sleeping still, she's sleeping still, running to the ocean is a bitter pill. 
Through crab and coconut, rain and sun, ships sailed in, men with guns, coming from the ocean, people in the hull, cargo, just cargo, like sugar and spice and gold and rum, just cargo. She's sleeping still, she's sleeping still, run into the ocean is a bit of pill. She's sleeping still, she's sleeping still, run into the ocean is a bit of pill. There's a Burby's county and a Burby's chair, a Burby's road and a madhouse there where ghosts roll around in the empty halls and the cries still echo around the empty walls and the river run wide and the river run wild, currents bubbling up along she's spine. Lullaby, 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 rakshin. Lullaby, 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 washing. Lullaby. Let me sing, let me sing, let me hush up the cry of the child and the woman and old man there. Sleeping still, sleeping still, running to the ocean is a big to pill. Sleeping still, sleeping still, running to the ocean is a big to pill. All the trees are wild and lonely. Amongst the old plantation, there is a place called home. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, uh, Maggie. That was brilliant. Did anybody have any questions they wanted to ask Maggie just while we're here? Or I'll just move on to the next thing. Maybe at the end. You can ask at the end. Hold on. Okay, so Rod and I recently met Brian, and um, we love the way that, you know, whenever we go anywhere, there's always someone guiding somewhere, and then you end up finding out that they're talented, because guiding's are talented, right? So here we are, we met Brian, and it turns out that he, sorry, I spelled your name incorrectly up there, just spotted, um, is a DJ poet, and then an MC based in Wiltshire. He was born in England to Guyanese parents. He began performing in 2013 after recovering from cancer. And although he's currently unpublished, he's enjoying great recognition and success on the poetry circuit. He also happens to be Maggie's um, cousin, so clearly poetry runs in the family. Please give Brian a warm welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. All right, first of all, I just want to say a massive thank you to uh, Ron and Wayne for inviting me. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, I've traveled a long way to be here. Uh, I hope you can all understand my broad West Country accent. Okay. I like to think that uh, even though I'm here amongst a load of fellow Guyanese and other people of indeterminate sort of uh, nature, um, I'm bringing diversity everywhere I go. Um, so, um, but yeah, but the, the big sell for me was like, first of all, this is an audience that I never contemplated performing in front of, therefore, if I'm trembling a little bit, that's just what I do naturally. Um, and also just get the chance to share a stage with my cousin Maggie, um, who inspired me to first sort of start doing my poetry back in 2013. Um, at the time, as I recall, I was in a room full of strangers with like five people in there who knew me and loved me. Uh, and I had no teeth because I had them all removed. Uh, before my treatment um, commenced. And uh, I'm pleased to say that these ones are so good they look like they're actually mine. Uh, <laughs> and I've learned to speak again all over again. So, but um, yeah, so this is a massive high. So um, 
forgive me because I'm a bit of a scat again. You know, I sort of I write about what moves me. I don't have any one particular thing. You know, life is a particular thing. Yes, after that everything's possible. So uh, the first piece I want to do for you is uh, just a, came out of a question mark in a writing class, which was like, if you could, uh, if you could earwig any conversation, what would it be? And I start, started thinking about that. And I thought that one of the things that always fascinated me was uh, Jesse Owens and Hitler. Okay, so like Jesse Owens is a great athlete, but every time anybody mentions his name, and he's, he's like hooked up with the biggest bastard in history. Okay, uh, I thought, what does that, that be like? So this is called uh, Jesse and Adolf, an imaginary memoir. And please forgive my cod American accent. Uh, Jesse was often asked in later life, what was Hitler like? Jesse would smile, that easy smile. Say, I didn't know the man, I just shook his hand. But Jesse, how is he towards you? You ever met the president? You keep your eyes down, you speak when spoken to. You're not, it's not a conversation, you're meeting an institution. But Jesse, what did you say when you had the chance? You know, privately with no comeback. There's always comeback, my friend. Jesse laughed wearily and looked his questioner in the eye. Back in the day, that was a dangerous thing for a black man to do. It was the Olympics. I was the fastest man alive. I didn't know much about the Nazis, I just wanted to win. Jesse had been a once in a lifetime athlete. Uh, a sprinter, long jumper without peer. Uh, besting, beating men and boys much older than himself from a precocious age. Compact but rangy, combining extraordinary grace and muscularity. The old man opened his eyes slowly as he rose from his bed, adjusting to the high early sun, which washed the room and trapped the dust in its rays. The floor was cool against his celebrated feet. His limbs moved reluctantly, not like the old days. Padding to the ensuite, he leaned wearily on the wash basin and looked deeply into his own well-lit reflection. Roomy, bloodshot eyes with dark irises full of extraordinary history stared back. They closed, and the memories came back in a torrent of smells and sounds. The cinder track, the barking starter pistol, the straining, grimacing features of the vanquished, the only place he was ever truly free, the equal of any man. His history of public property, that as the oppressed don't have a voice, that history is dictated by the oppressor. The idea that any man can be owned is the root of slavery, it's a small leap from owning a race horse or a prized bull to a fighter or a marksman or an athlete. He was the tame mascot of American superiority. They unfortunated him during the sniffing Carlos protest 30 years after his own triumph. But the question he was asked more than any other was, how did Hitler treat you? He rarely answered truthfully because people didn't want that. They want their existing idea confirmed. They want to believe they know you from a snippet of history. They want to, uh, sorry, a few ticker tape headlines. You want the truth? Jesse would finally ask. Yes, yes, they said with excited breath. Hitler never snubbed me. Roosevelt did. Thank you. (laughs) 
Okay, so uh, to demonstrate my, uh, I'd laughingly call it versatility, but uh, uh, so um, sometimes, you know, when you write poetry, uh, sometimes it's no more than an elegant spit on a side grip. Sometimes something, you see something or you hear something and it rises a bile in you and you've got to get it out, otherwise it curls inside you. So I wrote this little piece about a lady that some of you may be familiar with. I wouldn't call it, it's not really a love letter, it's more of a poison pen letter. But I tried not to be too unkind, but judge for yourself. So this is called Katie. It goes, uh, toxic hater, media crone, effluent creator, moral free zone. I'd rather choke on a herringbone and listen to you drone on and on and on and on about the latest victim you've lit upon, battered with a stone, made to feel alone, exposed to the fierce cyclone generated by the spotlight throne, and at the centre, on her shabby media throne, a woman whose talents are yet unknown to anyone without a heart of stone. That's dedicated to Katie Hopkins. <laughs> so, uh, while I'm in the mood for a bit of vilification, all right, this is a, this is a political piece, um, and uh, this is this might be the first poem I wrote angry. So basically, I was doing a sleep out for a, a homeless charity in Chippenham, which basically involved sleeping in a cardboard box in a graveyard um, to raise funds for the homeless. Obviously, they weren't allowed to take part because they were carrying drinking drugs. Um, so, um, and anyway, that our new MP, and in Chippenham, our MP is the Right Honourable Michelle Donlan, who's now, I think, the Families and Children's Minister or something like that. Um, but um, anyway, so. We had a short conversation, I'll sort of try to summarise. This is called uh, Meeting My New Member. One of Cameron's class of 2015, normal service resumed. I am polite but wary, waiting for the party line. Platitudinous pedantry, dressed as unpithy political epithet. No humane communication here. A manner of exercising condescension. You ever been patted on the head by a stepford wife? You ever had someone describe their faith to you before they've been properly introduced? She glances at me with reptilian concern. Sorry I can't stay, but I suffer from poor circulation and have other appointments. I'm feeling cold-blooded now. I want to shout in her face. I want to I want to skew my venom on her Jaeger blouse. But there's no need. She looks into my eyes for the first time and recognises the disdain there. She turns and is gone, looking for someone else to suck humanity from. <laughs> okay, this is dangerous territory here, but I, I wrote this for my wife. Um, <laughs> Listen, like when you've been married for 30 years, okay, you have to get inventive, <laughs> all right? So, and anyway, and the other thing is, how do you do like a poem about somebody you love or you, that you have sexual desire for without coming across as creepy? You know, that kind of thing. It's really quite a difficult line. And you judge for yourself. So this is 4M, and this is like Mandy, by the way. That husky voice between the sheets stirs my blood, engorges my heartbeats. Those cat-like sounds stretching forth, panting hounds beyond my worth, a simple truth, heartfelt desire, a desperate yearning, the need to aspire. Forget convention, feel me, feel the heat, let me in. 
I will massage your feet. <laughs> okay, so um, now it's time to use the phone. I'm so glad that I'm so fantastically organised. Um, so, um, yeah, ju- I mean, just by way of filler, I mean, I, I was diagnosed with throat cancer in 2013, in uh, February. And after I had all my teeth removed, I went through chemo and radiotherapy. And at the other end of it, in September of that year, six months, seven months, uh, I was declared in remission. And I'm six years in remission now. Right. So, so I, I, I realised that uh, I was I was trying to find some meaning. I sort of flirted with God, but that was like a bad news. Okay, I couldn't quite get my head around that, and I feel I've long since come to realise that there is no heaven, there is no hell. They are right here where we are standing, and we carry them with us every day. All right. So, um, I was looking for something that sort of scared me, but wasn't dangerous. And then I thought, stand-up comedy. All right? Unless, of course, you're doing it in sort of Alabama or the Gorbals. Yeah? Um, so, so um, but then I realised after a long time, I mean, the height of my, the height of my sort of comedy sort of fame, if you want to call it, that was um, sort of second feature in a Cardiff pub one night to a female impersonator called Joanna Bunmy. Okay? Uh, I kid you not, and we are still friends on Facebook. A very nice bloke, actually. <laughs> Um, but, um, but I realised I was far too well adjusted for comedy, um, and, uh, and apart from that, I'm crap at telling jokes, uh, but I do love a good punchline. Um, so when they asked me what my, uh, what my walk-on music was, was going to be, I was like, mate, I'm not a fighter. But it was like that, it's like a bear pit, it's like, come on, make me laugh. Um, and uh, so they said to me, what kind of music would you like? And I, I thought about it for a, about a nanosecond, I said, uh, am I black enough for you by Billy Paul? And then they played it, and I came out, and I went, well, am I? With my, my best Clint Eastwood. And uh, no, I wasn't. That's the first answer to that question. Um, so, so anyway, I realised that uh, I had a facility with words, and I wanted to make a point. And, uh, and also, poetry audiences are so well-behaved, all right? Uh, and they, even if they don't like you, they're nice to you, all right? That is a top, top sort of seller for me. Um, so... Um, I'm going to write you a, uh, do, do a poem for you now, which was um, written a couple of years ago after uh, David Cameron um, David Cameron talked about uh, hordes of immigrants. Okay. Uh, and I just thought, like, hello, hello. You can still hear me? Yeah. Okay. So I haven't turned it off. Right. Okay. That's right, I'll just carry on today. All right, let's have to boom it. Hello, hello. Hello. No, no, it's done. Okay, stop worrying about the microphone. Hold on. So, um, so I just thought, you know, once you start like comparing people to animals and using, using these kind of uh, things to, uh, to. Uh, describe stuff and you're just you're just treading ground that Goebbels occupied uh, so much you know so many years ago and just perpetuating that hate all right and that idea of looking at other people who's less than you so this is called arrivals um 
sometimes you're, when you're angry, you just need to speak plainly. And it's not about dressing it up. Eyes once dark and sparkling, now opaque, unseeing. Mouths bleakly eloquent in crushing silence. Bodies tossed on elemental tides, settle face down in surf. Mother and small sons locked together in fraternal farewell, fallen at the final gateway to Western democracy. Families fractured by men without humanity, fleeing a homeland, drowning in jihad, and prey to bottom feeders grown fat in miserable migration. The images shocked the senses, and we paused to contemplate the abyss. But rolling news waits for no one and moves on. What is the collective noun for refugees? A swarm, a herd, an exodus, an ocean maybe. Everything ends there. Okay, so in the spirit of like, uh, in the spirit of challenging myself, uh, one, of the, one of the best reasons to do anything is because you're scared of it. Uh, anything that gets your heart pumping, anything that puts you in a different space. Anytime you spend in a comfort zone, you're achieving absolutely nothing. Um, so this is about uh, me trying to learn to play guitar. Right? Uh, okay. This is called uh, On the Cusp of a Lick. Be a guitar player there, there. I've learned to play guitar. Thankfully, my teacher could train monks in Zen. 12 months in, and I know that I'm the worst pupil ever, the one who will not give up no matter what dissonance they create. Maybe he's begun to realize that this is a struggle to the death, a funeral march out of time. His old dogs need old tricks. Despite that, I'm on the cusp of the lid. I've been amused though since forever with few boundaries or untraveled past, from ska to hip hop, pad rock to punk, funking up regular and dropping in rather than out. But now I strum with gnarly wooden fingers punctuated by inward sighs of disappointment, strangled by shouts that become wails. I think they call that the blues. I now have three guitars, but all from one hidden from view and still struggle with all the chords, both old and not so new. But each week I puff my cheeks and stride into the tab, meet my teacher who buys me beer, who drinks the beer I buy while showing me the indulgence of a father. He slides and fingers his guitar like a playful demigod entertaining his favorite mistress. I see the mountain top after an avalanche, no discernible route. The air is thin and sends me reeling back to base camp. A D A. Sorry, A D A E. Peggy Sue. <laughs> Slowly, with imperceptible, with imperceptible increments, the monolith shifts. You know, like the Saturn V pre-launch vehicle. You know that one with the wheels as big as a house. My ears become accustomed to the sound of actual notes, and I can recognise their absence, but not summon them at will. But these small victories give me hope. In the name. Yeah, baby, I'm on the cusp of the lake.
Okay, now, uh, the last audience that I was in front of, I lied to and said I was going to retire this poem. But because you guys are all completely new and none of you know me apart from you, 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 you. <laughs> um, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unretire it, okay? Because, like, uh, I, I realised after I wrote this poem quite a while ago that um, this man was not going to stop and he was going to continue doing bad shit all the time, okay? Um, and so I had a choice then. I could either, like, keep adding stanzas. That's a technical term, poetry, sorry. Uh, but I keep adding stanzas or... Or I could just like retire it because it would just end up being like the Odyssey. Now I'm not comparing myself to Homer, but this man's shit list is so long. Um, I'm talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, so this poem is called uh, "You Can't Polish a Turd, But You Can Make It Smooth and Roll It in Glitter." All right. All right. All right. Uh, I'm just going to put the word turd into my search engine because then it will come up because I, I don't use that word very often. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, some of this might be a bit dated, but it's still relevant and it still burns my memory. You resist all attempts at gentrification because some things are beyond restoration. Gurning, churning, pointing your small fingers, looking for new victims in old ways that linger. When you mangle our language with false gravitas, declaim your opponents with pretend balls of brass leave only the indelible impression of a horse's ass. <laughs> Addicted to all things bright and shiny, when thought is your voice gets all high and whiny. <laughs> Mirrors, jewellery, elevators, towers, iodines, all festooned with a name fit only for card sharks and clowns. For here is a man so patently friendless, yet surrounded by lackeys whose numbers seem endless. The hirings, the firings, the comings and goings, the latest troop movements, the next crisis at Boeing. The same bites, the drone strikes, the targeted tax hikes, all conducted with the haphazard style of wildcat strikes. It's too easy to call him a fool since Trump University qualifies as a school. <laughs> but in his own mind, he's always been the sharpest tool, while too few people seem to see the draw. He gave the people what they wanted, someone to blame, someone to be haunted. But where stops the buck with the guy who's spoiling for, sorry, but where stops the buck with the guy who's spoiling for the ruck? with a guy who really doesn't give a fuck, or the one who keeps loading the military trucks. Untroubled by ideology, but a master of kidology, a species hitherto unknown to paleontology. Ivanka travels the world way out of her league, pretending her daddy can stop the world as it bleeds. The model's broken, the system's shot, it's spiritually bankrupt, but hoping it's not. So, suddenly Lord Jared is on the case, but don't hold your breath waiting for his plan to take place because Middle East peace is a giant conundrum, especially when your security clearance has been downgraded to humdrum. There's a man in the White House with the toughest job in the universe. He rises each day to inspect the new Twitterverse. But it's not POTUS who carries out his onerous task. It's the flunky who pulls, dolls, who pulls his press cuttings before Donald asks. Your wife is a plastic disaster Barbie dressed in moleskin misogynist chick. I bet she has a flunky shave her legs with a bick. She speak not lest she steal others' hard crafted words. Let's face it, Donald, happy family turds. Thank you. <laughs> one more, okay, one more, one more. Right. Okay, uh, so uh, just to go completely off subject and get away from the politics, but we can still stay with the innate bullshit of mankind, all right, because that seems to be a recurring theme. Um, so this is called, 
the great quake. Now, some of you may remember, was it, was, I can't, to be honest, was it last year, 2019, or was it 2018? We had like a minor earthquake, sort of earth tremor throughout, the, throughout most of the country, and everybody lost their shit. Um, so I was, so I woke up and started looking, I was like, what is going on here? And I just wrote this, okay? It's called the Great Quake. It was a bright and breezy spring day, mother's son busy keeping cold jacket bay, and only avians sensing the danger in play and taking flight well before the earth starts to sway. It begins with a hush as the air pressure plummets, beating wings straining for the safety of summits, while those of us earthbound shiver and shake, perplexed and afeared by the unwelcome quake. Pray tell, did the earth move for you? Was a single cut broken while sitting in situ? We are bird-like, online instantaneously, 10 million Einsteins postulating simultaneously, Twitter and Facebook bulging with fright and irrational fear cuts a swathe with a saber of light. Fruitcakes and conspirators bring all their sad toys out to play and suddenly hysteria is the only game that we play. Meanwhile, in less fortunate places, thousands made homeless by mudslides and floods, buried in shit you can't blame on young men in hoods. Whole communities wiped out in a biblical lottery and little ones pulled days later from the rubble strain our credulity because fear is the mind killer for man's fragile psyche and the dribble we spout when afraid is just freaky. So, but ignorance and bullshit feed only greed. Sorry, perspective and context are all that we need, but ignorance and bullshit feed only greed. So, check a real earthquake, look up Richter, or get used to an overactive sphincter. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure we're used to that many swear words in Guyana speaks, but anyway. <laughs> okay, so next on we have Ellie Nilland, and um, this is a real honour. I've been trying to get Ellie for, for, since forever. Um, Ellie, of course, is born in Guyana, is a poet, playwright, story writer, and teacher. Market Day from Ellie's Bone Soup collection was shortlisted for the inaugural Guardian and Fourth Estate Short Story Prize in 2016. In retrospect, was nominated for Best First Book of Poetry and runner-up for the Guyana Prize for Literature 2004. Cornerstones, which is um, Ellie's second poetry collection, won the Guyana Prize for Literature 2006. East of Centre, which is the third poetry collection, was funded by the British Arts Council and was launched at Carabesta in 2008. Um, I also just wanted to mention that um, The Fog, a story about a spreading sickness, was broadcast on um, BBC Radio 4 in 2005. And that Ellie has also done a dramatisation with David Davidine that was based on Harold Sonny Ladue's No Pain Like This Body. And that was broadcast on BBC Radio 3 in um, 2003. And just to mention, I don't think you have a website, but I wanted to mention that all of Ellie's books are available via Dido Press. Is that right? Great. Please put your hands together. Warm welcome. Can you hear me? 
that okay? Yeah. Great. Bless you all for being here today. It's dreadful out there. It took me hours to get here, but I won't mind. I'm delighted to be here. And thank you for a very, very warm welcome. I'd like to read a couple of poems and then a very short story. And um, First of all, I'd like to say, I'd like to say that when I write, sometimes I think there's a time to keep silence and there's a time to speak and a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And my mom spent an enormous amount of time in church and sent us to Sunday school so that we would be decent children. <laughs> and she always quoted little bits and she spent her whole life cleaning and cooking and chopping and ironing. Um, but she always hummed a few hymns, so the Bible was in the house, if you like. And I don't have any objections to that at all. Um, it just stays with you. Certain things, like you choose. So I'd like to start off with a poem I wrote oh, quite a while back called Tooting Market because I went to school around the corner in Franciscan Road. Um, so Tooting Market. Should you dare for a smell and taste of home, go to Southwest 17, the Sunday morning market. See the ladies wearing bands of gold, smelling of nutmeg and thyme. They sell nenwa. Bora, Bara, and Milky Cassava. You can try Gulgula, Awara, and Guava. In one tiny shop you can buy salt, fish, pigtail, plat bread, star fruit, tennis rolls and Kool-Aid, golden apple and fufu, water lilies and young frangipani, maidenhair ferns and oleander, so vivid, leaves you riveted, wandering. Senses intense, music, a poetry of colourful voices. The variety is infinite. You can cry and laugh at once. <coughs> Men drinking banks bear study the ladies. Glances skidding. They stare absorbed, preoccupied, speculating. One to another said bye. I might have a chance. His wife selling Banga Mary, Hasahuri, and Gilbaka, she overheard. And she was explicitly irreverent. To hoots of laughter, she shouted to the crowd that her husband was a misbegotten dilemma. <laughs> One hundred earnest smiles ensued, and then they were applauded. Then she described his small pint of room. <laughs> a pencil without lead, she said. <laughs> his crown jewels are lost. <laughs> I used to love the market and I spent a lot of time there when sometimes I should have been at school. <laughs> now, I didn't like school much when I was little and I was in Guyana. 
and um, Maggie and I were at school together some 55, 56 years ago. I was 66 yesterday, so you don't have to count. <laughs> My mother said, you're lucky and you're still smoking. Your ears hard, you never listen. So she stopped now. But it was after yesterday, I think she stopped. <laughs> so this is Burbys High School and I was 10 years old and I hated school. Because um, they didn't say you have dyscalculus, they just said you're stupid bad. <laughs> your head ain't good. And because I hated math because you have to stick your hand out when you got it wrong. And they were bastards, some of them. Anyway, Burbies High School. Sound of the cane hissing high in the air before it descends on a small brown hand stretched out full length. Stomach churning, eyes burning, the crack sounds on bare flesh. Wince as wild cane bites into skin. Pointless to beg for mercy, won't cry. Goose flesh creeps down arms and legs. Marks swell on palm of hand. The fury of the lashes, the rage in his face. Treated like a wild dog. Brutal practice sadist. Learning without meaning and without happiness. Ten years old, degraded, and then degraded, and I fled, never to return, and I didn't, and I said I was going to be a teacher and be better than you, and I was. <laughs> when I was really up to here, a couple of years back when I was doing this, um. I needed some expression of hopefulness. And it was actually Christmas morning. Um, and I was wrestling with a few questions because at that time, a younger sister of mine who was 34 had died. And, and I, I, I didn't actually feel in a celebrative mood and I, 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 I didn't want the normal drink. I just didn't want to do anything. And, and somewhere between, sometime in that day, there was a bit of reality and it was marbled with light and dark. It's a kind of a, an attachment to the world, but you're a bit detached here. So I wrote an email to God. I didn't have email then, I just made it up. <laughs> um, I'm a bit computer literate. You still can't do it. Right. So, this is my email to God at heathotmail.com from Orinoco online at lycos.com UK. I don't know what that meant. And the subject said, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I dated it 111. Don't know why. I'm a little scared of sending this because you might reply one of these days. <laughs> I'm sorry I flooded your message board, but I'm scared. I'm losing my faith. There's no comfort in prayer, no hope. I see you as frightening and remote. 
figure of judgment and retribution. I feel no sense of absolution. Doubt resides in my foundation. You've abandoned me without salvation. Where is the caring arm, the shepherd's crook, for this lost lamb? Please don't forsake me. I do still try. Please help. You truly, you truly Orinoco online. This email has been scanned for honesty and has been certified cliche free. <laughs> I don't sing like Maggie does, but this one, I'll just sing two lines, because I'm a bit toned in, probably from smoking. Right, it's called Him for Four Seasons, and when I used to go to Sunday school, we went to the Lutheran church. My mum sent us to pray anywhere there was a church. She said, it's God's house, just go. <laughs> she don't care whether you went to church. And if you move, you could go Anglican church. And she complained about it because you have to buy a new school uniform. And we moved a bit. So this was Lutheran church in Region 7. I'm a Barbician. At that time I was. So I'm reading this because of, of my Guyanese childhood. It was sustaining and it was healing apart from school. <laughs> Jesus loved me this I know. As he loved me long ago. And I remember this because this was sung to raise your mood, help you hold hope when you only had hope to ward off your depression and you were heading towards the crossroads. This was medicine, a way to cope. Sung when babies were baptized, when you celebrated a birthday, you sang it when you worked, and when people died or were close to the edge. Sung when you found love. You hummed one hymn, your Bible cabinet of remedies. You hummed it when you forgave yourself. You hummed it when you found peace. You hummed it when you met those in memory. You hummed it when you turned over the raw materials of distress. Jesus loves me still today, walking with me on my way. Um, I'll just read a couple of pieces and then a very, very short story as a tribute, yeah? Well, Christina Rossetti wrote a long time ago a poem called Remember. It's on the GCSE syllabus and has been for years. Nice piece of work, so I thought I'd do my version. And she said, remember me when I'm gone away, gone far away to the silent land. And um, 
And this was written when I was trying to remember my fate. And um, as I only have lads, they don't listen much. <laughs> like I do. Um, it was at a point when I had to confront mortality, having had family losses and so on. And, um, and you don't resist, you're just trying to resist the pain of grief, really. Um, so I call this one Lose Not Your Color, <coughs> because my kids are half Irish. <coughs> and um, it was, it, it, in a sense, it was a little bit of an instruction to them. They don't know that yet. When my time comes to leave this world, when my tide goes out to sea, I'll have one last cough before departure and a final pee. <laughs> that time in flux, in transience, mutability, will be a new arbor. When, in renewal time, I slip into a state of quiescence, during that last ripple of speculation, drifting, sing for me, eat and be hearty, use peppery words of a naked party, wear a smile and a wobble with no crown of sorrow in your eyes. When my time comes, the wine will be divine. There will be no despair, no fear. I'll have champagne me there. <laughs> and lubricate and brush everyone with verbal ubiquity. Have hope and faith, but no sorrow, please. Love is enough. You'll have to work tomorrow. I've broken a few windows, spider webs and hearts. The scars and the wounds will heal. I'm off to painless peace, independent of fashion, submitting to fate, committing to God. Family spirits will meet me on the shore, and if the gate is locked out, you. Bitter pain holds nothing for you, so pack your courage in a rucksack, plant aspirations, old love and laughter will sustain, you bloom again. This pious resignation is only a plea from boredom. Seldom <coughs> do the dying utter memorable words awaiting release, or see visions, or depart with beatified expressions. Most souls yield to the inevitable with a sigh and their dentures slip out. <laughs> so fuck the pantomime of grief, fuck all the legendary facts, and fuck all the fiction too. <laughs> so that's what I wrote for my children. I want them to have a party. <laughs> I want them to have a party. I want them to have a piss up, take the time off work, say goodbye and get on with your life. Um, so I'm hoping to Christ that they remember to read them. <laughs> right. Now, I did hate school, so I'll just do this quick piece because everybody remembers a good school teacher, and I actually had one. Thank God. <laughs> it's called Charting the Waters. It's part one. Tell me time. 
in a humble yellow concrete block, Miss King, one spring term, told 23 happy students who were hushed. You are the bright future. You are an uncharted fleet of words. You must pattern and plot all your observations. Learn to read and write. You'll be fishermen throwing your nets like fans to land with a splash of silver. Language <coughs> is your indispensable tool. It's your navigational chart. But mariners must pay mooring fees. So, without the words, you'll have a harbourless life. And their dark eyes opened like globes. Tune your ears, class. Clean your eyes, or else <coughs> you'll only see curl clouds. Bright brown children sprouting, fining, refining. She tuned the music of the mind. She lit the sparks. She stimulated the senses to fantasy. And she hammered home the words with this. Okay, I'll finish with just just a short story. Um, when I was a little girl, we didn't go on holidays. We went to our grannies, and then we could climb trees, walk barefooted. There were no toys; you just played. You jamming and cherries and. You saw people throwing fishing nets, and you saw things you don't see in a town. And um, my granny didn't have toys, and she never gave us any money. She just got big hugs. And my mother called her Ma, so I called her Ma. I didn't know till I was about 11 that her name was Amy. Um, because I did, you don't question. You, it's just normal. You went to play, yeah? And you saw cows being milked, and absolutely wonderful life and um, I miss her every day this is called a chef's tale very short my if you were here now I'd tell you these things in your house I woke up soon morning because morning time busy busy. You know them days when Falcock used to crow? Lemon light dawned and loosened sounds. Sounds I shall never forget. The sounds of aunties and uncles hustling to loose out the cattle, pouring a posy full of wee wee into the latrine, breaking the black sage to clean our teeth filling metal cans and bottles with milk for sale. I loved it when the froth went sailing atop a big bucket of milk when you brought it up from the cow pen. I'd eye the people in the village heading to the well to fetch water in metal buckets. And I'd study you needing the dough to make sada roti. I reveled in the newness of it all. I remember you making a fire with coconut shells, sticks and paper, and standing in awe as the flames snatched up the fibers with the first strike of the match. And when the kindling caught, 
and the short sticks cracked. When you done bake roti on the fireside, you broke them into pieces, daubed the little margarine, and shared them out to my aunties and uncles. And I sat on the bottom step to eat mine. It was so much fun to eat without cutlery and crockery and outside too. Toes dug into the damp and glossy ground, eyes squinting against the sun, and my nose sifting the scent of lime. The smell of smoke was truly lovely. Draining the last of the black sweet tea, I'd hand you the huge white enamel mug and scamper off into the kitchen. One day you had laid out a small pile of jira seeds and little garam masala and little piles of unknown seeds, a few cinnamon quills, quills that I'd never seen before and freshly picked red bird peppers besides yellow haldi. They were perfect little pyramids, mini pyramids. Belly full on board. I blew the jira seeds away, chasing them as they scattered, not knowing that these things were where you're going to go grind up to make curry paste. So when you turn around and see the mess on the kitchen counter, you ask me why I blow away your jira seeds. You didn't look vexed, not to me. You wore a faint smile and your eyes were warm. With care, you took down some old fries cocoa tins, prized open their lids, and slowly using a spoon, one by one, you scooped out some more and made some new piles. You took out your masala brick, squatted <coughs> on the floor, and with a loha stone, you started to grind the spices up and down, up and down the length of the brick. Your hand moved swiftly expertly gathering and grinding jeera, masala and garlic while adding other things I didn't know into a paste. Still now, when I hear the rubbing of stone on stone, it takes me back to that day. You looked up and caught my eye. I can tell you, you don't know nothing about these things. We can only guess that your mommy by already made gyro and curry powder, huh? <laughs> eh, Lord, this poor town picnic, I know nothing was fresh and good. Your mama got, your mama, your, your, your mama got masala brick, no? When you grow a little more, a couple more years, me self gonna show you how to make a nice curry. And that, uh, shall I finish up? Well, that's wonderful. Please let's put our hands together for the three. Thank you so much. Maggie, Brian, Ellie, that's brilliant. Thank you. So, we decided today that um, we would get the audience to share some of their poetry as well. And of course, we stand here on the shoulders of people who came before us. So I want to start first with, I know Auntie Doris, is Doris Harper Wills. 
um, has of course got some poetry that she would like to share with us first. And then I know Auntie Faye here has got some poetry. If anybody else wants to share poetry, please put their hands up just so that I'm aware. You want to share some? Corinne, I see you sitting at the back quietly. Are you sharing any poetry? Sandra. <laughs> no? Sandra? Anyhow, Auntie Doris, please please come to the front. Thank you. Let's put our hands together for Doris Hathaway. Thank you. students and my only hope and I hope that you hope after me too is that I can get it together. <laughs> I need to get it together. <clears throat> so before we do anything, can you do it for me please? I'd like us to say we belong to Diana. So when I say it, we belong. I'd like you to say, we belong to Diana. How many people do not belong to Diana? Everybody belongs to Diana. I love Diana. The island, the delta, <coughs> the crackles, the kiskadees. I do love them. I miss it. When you go to Washington, D.C., you could find here a little bit of the crickets. Everything I do has music. 
but I never seemed to get it together. <laughs> it didn't happen again. <laughs> never mind. The gremlins are here. Too many things. We belong to the sun, the moon, the evening star, the supreme God that made us what we are. Whatever faith, Christian, Hindu, Islam, whatever root, American Indian, European, African, Asian, we belong. We belong to Guyana. Sorry about the music. Here was a land of many flowing waters. Amerindian tune. So I've worn the tunes together from all the races. Their land of Guyana. Is that the beginning? No. <laughs> That's about the beginning. Now, the, I compose, I can't help it. Everything I do, words come out with music for me. And it's the music of Amerindians. So that's an Amerindian tune. It's the music of Patriotic songs and everything. Is that the right one now? Hopefully. So the one that was playing just now, I should play that now, right? Is it the same one? That was playing just now, yes. Okay, if not, we'll do it without the music. Do it without the music. Yes, yes because I always get for some reason. <laughs> Their motherland of many flowing waters. Their motherland of diverse sons and daughters. No matter who we are or where we live, no matter if we take or if we give, no matter if we black or brown or yellow, no matter if we young or old and mellow, no matter where we live or who we are, whether we visit you or stay away far, we can't forget the Demerara rum. Doom. All that goes on the drums, you know. One day I'll get it together with the music. <laughs> the frequent songs, the catching comfort drum, the ducky chants, the lap, chow tao, chimta, the navara, the tasa, and taja. And I play. If you take another man, I'm going to cut off your head. If you take another man, I'm going to cut off your head. If you take another man, I'm going to cut off your head. Then you want to try that? Do you know that? Don't you know it? I have a child. They have to tie my foot. Because the moment I hear the dirty drop, I run. Because I was brought up in Walkenham, and when I increased on Peter Rose Street, I got up. The moment I hear the dirty coming on Long Half Street, I gone. And my sister said to me, do you know what those drums mean? And she would tell me. Of course, it is politically incorrect to say Kuli Boy. Right? But that is what it was. 
And with the arrival of Christopher Columbus, the Amerindians disappeared. So here's a lullaby can, can from you, this book. Can you do it with the mic? Then they can hear it. Okay. okay. Here's a lullaby. There's my book of Amerindian stories. Every story has a moral to it. And I'll just do the lullaby very quickly. I'm going to do a whole program this year at the age of 89 with eight pages from memory. I will do it, I promise you. I'll get it together. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen I'm singing this to my grandson who's visiting me from New York. I don't think I'll let him go back. <laughs> baby, go to sleep, go to sleep, baby. Baby, go to sleep, go to sleep, Four times. Papa, bring in home cassava to peel. Mama, cassava peel, then great for our meat. Mama, with matter peel. Pressing out the juice, leaving cassava lumps for to found the news. Ellen to Badoka, Badoka, Ellen to Ellen Che Badoka, Dunk, Che, baby, go to sleep, go to sleep, to breathe, sleep so you grow up to hunt and eat lava. Sleep so you grow up to drink the Greek water. I'll just quickly sum up, yeah. Everybody put your hands together again for Doris Hopper Will and now we'll just say well. Possibilities. If anybody knows it, could you join in? One bright day in the middle of the night, two dead men began to fight. Two blind men to see fair play, two dumb men to call hooray. A dead lion stuffed with straw, eating boiled potatoes raw. A half a foot donkey passing by kicked the dead man on his left, right eye. That's <laughs> 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 it. Well, the other thing, I have a story written by Ralph Prince, and it's called Introduction to a New Neighbor. I can either do that, or I can sing you a little song that I wrote for my daughter when she was... Shall I sing that? Yes. Okay. I see a little black bird sitting in the trees, hiding in the leaves away from me. 
Blackbird, blackbird, don't fly away. Could you join me? Don't fly away. I won't harm you in any way. Blackbird, blackbird, don't fly away. I won't harm you in any way. I see a little blackbird eating grapes. I would like some on my plate. Blackbird, blackbird, don't fly away. I won't harm you in any way. Blackbird, blackbird, don't fly away. I won't harm you in any way. I see a little blackbird flying high, away, away up in the sky. Blackbird, blackbird, don't fly away. I won't harm you in any way. Blackbird, blackbird, don't fly away. I won't harm you in any way. Thank you. Wonderful, thanks for that, um, Faye. Uh, Kim. Kim? Yes. Yeah. Come up. writing, but I haven't brought that in today. What I've done is I've brought in uh, both a picture book and just to say that uh, I uh, was born in London, um, but both my parents are Guyanese. Some people know my mother, Lee Samuels, Lee Akbar. Mm -hmm. And um, so for the first time, I, I went to Guyana last year and also took my two sons with me as well. So it was our first trip to Guyana. And uh, we had an amazing, just an amazing time. And sometimes I think pictures show a journey and a story in words. If anybody wants to look at this and encourage their children to go and visit Guyana, to go see Guyana. So, um, and then um, after that, um, I also did a DNA test. And I am, like most Guyanese, a mixture of all things, as they say. And uh, so there were some surprises and some not so surprises. I know a lot of my mixture is some um, part African, part Chinese, part Indian. And then, um, as Helen did, uh, was saying about the, um, the unknown as well. And part of my DNA test came back as unknown, which I'm going to assume is um, indigenous uh, Amerindian too. So, um, so one of the things that I did do after that was I um, went back to um, on a journey of return as well. So two journeys, and um, part of my DNA testing also said that I was um, from Benin and Togo, and also Ghana. So I did uh, part of the return uh, visitors of return as well last year as well. This was with a group of people. Um, and we did uh, some, some, most of it was very um, wonderful. Our trip was wonderful. We were welcomed warmly. We were told we were not tourists, we were our returners. Um, we also did do the through the gate of no return and we turned around our backs and we walked back in as well. So this poem here is actually a collaboration. Uh, one of the things I do is a collage poetry. And this is bringing out um, the words of the people that were on this group tour as well. 
Um, so what I get them to do is I get them to write one line on a piece of paper. It's totally anonymous. It's then folded up. I take it home with me and I put a poem together with the words of the people on this group. All the people on this group were all returners. There was only myself that was from Guyana, so I feel that I was representing um, Guyanese people as a whole. Um, so one of the things that people say there is, um, listen, which is agor. And when you have listened, you say amer. Um, so um, this is again, like I said, it's a poem of all, all the people that were on this trip, all the returners going home, and their uh, joint um, sort of words that they felt when they came home. Agor, Africa, Ghana, Mother, you have welcomed and baptised me in your glory. I am blessed to have been able to place my feet on the soil of my ancestors. A homecoming, feeling I'm in a place where I belong. A spiritual stimulation by the call of the motherland. This be Ghana. I am fast in my chains and I am a slave. I move sadly before the bloody whip. I am loosened from my moorings and are free. This be my need for Ghana. The year of return I am enlightened and informed. I feel my eyes have been enriched. I feel at one with my ancestors. This be the spirit of Ghana. Our African history and culture so immensely rich. I long for the day when we become one Africa again. And Africa is for Africans once more. This be the fate of Ghana. Ghanaian people so polite, they are me and I am them. Kente weaving and Batek print. Will there always be a palaver over the palaver? This be why I love Ghana. The sound of the oceans, the rustle of the trees, sing blessings and gratitude to the ancestors. I came, I saw, and embraced the differences. This be the beauty of Ghana. This opportunity to meet my brothers and sisters, of sharing self-culture and vision, to reconnect, to unify as one. I know a lot more about who and how powerful I am. I am Ghana. Not a child born in Africa, but a child of Africa. Coming to Ghana made Ghana part of me. Medese for opening my eyes. I look forward to returning. This be my Ghana. Amen. And so please join with me. Agu. Amen. Thank you. Because being Ghanaian, half Ghanaian myself, I like that very much. Thank you, Jim. <laughs>